0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. One of the trends that many police departments um, have begun doing, which I think is a great idea, is they've, they've begun listing a uh, posting a list of the calls that they take during, during the day. And they do it a, a couple days later. How many of you guys have seen this? How many of you guys have seen... You, yeah, some of you. Okay, perfect. Well, this is going to be brand new for the rest of you then. This is good. So, all right, so we live in Dixon City. And, um, and so, yeah, we follow Dixon City's uh, police department. And about every, every day, um, they will post what happened the day before, the calls that they responded to and everything else. And there's, there's three things that I really appreciate about this. The first, I'm not sure who, who is posting this stuff, but this dude is a genius, He's like the comedic, uh, man, the the things that he puts out is absolutely incredible. How many of you guys have ever been on Commerce Boulevard when it floods? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Their posts about the flooding each and every time are hilarious. Um, Probably six months ago, um, someone in Home Depot went to the lumber department. You guys guys remember hearing about this? They went to the lumber department and tried to exercise the demons from, from the wood. You guys remember that? Yeah? Look up what Dixon City did with that. Absolutely incredible. And so just for like the humor value, it's really good. Um, obviously, um, second, secondly, you just, you get to know what our police department and what our law enforcement does to keep our communities and our neighborhoods safe. Um, just when you see the calls that come in, especially like for some reason, my block on Morgan Street in Dixon City is insane. We, I mean, we kind of thought we knew. There's a lot of police around. But then we, we saw one time someone, they found a shotgun in the, the water sewer or whatever. Just the manhole. That's the things that they're dealing with. And they post all of that. So I appreciate the stuff that they, that they deal with each and every day. But lastly, thirdly, the probably thing that's most fascinating is by reading these posts, you get like a bird's eye view, a, a glimpse into where our society is at. And it's not that great. Um, man, the incidents when it comes to the fighting and... Parking lots I, every week. Walmart parking lot. Walmart's parking lot is insane. There's always fights there. There's fights. Um, there, there's domestic fights, but within homes. There's there's neighbors that fight against each other, and so you get to see, man, just where our society is at. Um, the drama that is filled with so many of our lives. And James today um, begins to address the issue of conflict, and he says, "Listen." Um, I need to address this issue with, with his readers. And so James kind of, as we, as we begin chapter 4, James is going to kind of start peeling back some layers. Yes, he's going to talk about conflict, but he's not going to talk about just, just yes, it happens. He's going to talk about the reasons why it happens. So the, the what and the how and why we fight and what drives these conflicts that we have with each other. So we all have conflicts. We all have people in our lives that are just hard to love, and there's quarrels among us. James is going to speak to that, to that topic today. And I'm going to tell you right up front, this passage is going to take us somewhere that I did not expect it to go. Um, James begins talking about fighting, and he pulls back layer after layer and gets down to the heart and the root of the issue. So our next half an hour, 40 minutes together, there's going to be some rough sailing as God uh, begins working on our hearts. And so before we even get into it, I just want to take a moment to pray and ask God's blessing and God's help over over our time here this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just, Lord, we come to you today, Lord, humbly, God, as we approach your word. God, we are a needy, and God, we are a kind of people in need of another work of your Holy Spirit, God, within our lives. God, I pray, Lord, that as we walk through these verses in James chapter 4, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us of sin. God, that you would would give us hope, Father, because there's hope here today, that we find hope in your son Jesus and the promise of salvation, Lord, and the promise, God, of you working within our lives. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would just break down Break down strongholds, God, within our hearts today. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, church, we're gonna begin in verse, James chapter 4, verse 1. And James begins this, um, this portion by asking a question. And the way that only James can do it, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I love the way that he does this because he wants us to begin to begin thinking. And so, if I were just to ask you guys, if if you could make a top ten list of what are the things that causes people to fight, what what things would you give me? Let's we can talk out loud here. What what are some of the things that you think this this is why people are fighting today? Let's hear. It. Politics. Heard politics? Yeah, politics, political divisiveness. Yeah, that's one. Money. Yeah, money is huge, yes. One, two, yes. What else? Football. Football. yeah, in a couple weeks. Yes, football, yeah. was well, that? Religion, yeah. That definitely can cause some issues, especially especially within our time in today. Good, good. Yeah, all the way in the back there. Yeah, not not accepting other people that that are different from from you. Good, good. Yeah, the yeah, over here, leap. Yeah, pride, yeah, it's on there too. Pride, not being willing to be able to budge from other people. And that list could go on and on and on. We can talk about social media presence. We can talk about the 24-hour news cycle. We can talk about the fact that you either are on one side or another side. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no dialoguing anymore. There's none of that. There's so many issues that we could point, that we could, that we could mention why people struggle. Now, listen, I, I, I opened this up in public, and so some of these answers probably tapered back a little bit. You probably wouldn't say this out loud, but how many, how many of you have thought, and you don't need to raise your hands, let's just keep it between us and God and everything else, but when I mentioned what causes quarrels about you, how many people an individual came to mind? Right? How many people, you, the first, your first go-to move was, man, if that person wasn't in my life. I wouldn't have these struggles. I wouldn't have these conflicts. If that group of people were not in my life or in, in my workplace, I wouldn't have the conflict that I have today. James points out something that we all do so often is that whenever, whenever we're asked what causes quarrels and troubles, we immediately point to other people or other circumstances outside of ourselves. I am guilty of this. You're guilty of that. But I love what James does next at the the second part there, verse 1. He answers his own question. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What James is doing is like, listen, I know there's things outside. Political divisiveness, pride, stubbornness, not being accepting of other people, a lack of compassion. But James gets right down to the issue here and he says, no, no, no. The problem isn't outside you. The problem is actually within you. The problem isn't other people that God has placed within your life. The problem is the war that's going on inside of your own hearts. And church, this morning, James is going to begin to peel back these layers and uncover the fact that the reason why we fight, the reason why we quarrel is because we're frustrated because of the passions that are at war within us. See, that word passions can be translated as a lust for pleasure, a longing to be fulfilled, a living in a state of discontentment or discontent. The reason why we fight isn't because of other people around us. The reason why we fight isn't because of the circumstances we find ourselves in. The main reason for the conflict that we create within our own lives is because that we've all believed a lie. We all believed the lie that the world sells you and I, that we can find happiness, purpose, fulfillment, and satisfaction apart from God. if you were to define what, it, what it, the thought process behind being of the world or living in worldliness, it is simply that I can find my passion, I can find my purpose, I can find fulfillment and satisfaction from the things of this world completely apart from God. Church, and if we're honest, we've all believed that lie in some aspects or another. We've all believed that we can replace God's favor with likes on Facebook and social media. We believe the lie that we can replace the joy and fulfillment of marriage with pursuing whatever relationship we feel like, however we feel like doing it. We believe the lie that we can replace God's purpose and plan for our lives by pursuing the next best thing in our lives. And we believe the lie that we can find true happiness not in experiencing God's kingdom, but in building our own. And as promising as the pleasures of this world look like, and believe me, they look great, they will always leave you frustrated and longing for more. Always. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, says, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they're all passing away. These things are not from God. And sooner or later, they will all leave you wanting. And church, as I, as I work through this passage today, God began pricking my heart and asking the question, Dave, where is your fulfillment in? Dave, where are you trying to find satisfaction? Dave, where, where are you trying to find purpose and pleasure and happiness? And church, me personally, your pastor in certain areas of my life, I believed the lie that I can go to things outside of God and find everything that I need. But it's a counterfeit. It's a fake. And it will always leave you wanting for more. And listen, I don't want this just coming from me and thinking, listen, this is exactly what you want to do. You want to, you want to try to box me and you want to try to get me to follow after God and all those things. So listen, I want, I want to just bring up two brief, quick examples from people who have experienced the pinnacle of worldliness, the pinnacle of success, fame, power, and money. And, I want, and I, want to bring you to, I want to bring you to their conclusions about pursuing things that really don't last. First, the first person, 1965, rock and roll legends Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones wrote a song about commercialism. You guys probably know what it is. Let's hear it. I can't get no what? Satisfaction. You know know when when they wrote this? They wrote this when they were were beginning to hit the pinnacle of their career. They were super talented. They they were famous. They had money, power. They, they They had sex. They had everything that they ever could have wanted. And they ended up writing a song about this very thing that we made it to the top, and you know what? There's nothing there. I can't get no satisfaction. Not only were they missing out on proper grammar, because they are. Gets me every time, I see, every, time I, every time I see that song. But they're missing out on the fact that God offers something better that God offers something, that the things of this life are fleeting, God offers something to you and I today that will last far beyond the Rolling Stones in their career. Church, J.D. Rockefeller, a billionaire in his day, the Jeff Bezos and the Bill Gates of his day, when he was asked one time, John, how much money is enough? How much money do you need? You know what his response was? Just a little bit more. See, that longing for for more, that longing, that unsatisfied, the state of living in discontentment, this is the end of investing in the things of this world. It will never leave you satisfied. And how many of us today, our motto is just a little bit more? God, just a little bit more. Just, just, a little more vacations, God. Just a little more bump in pay. Just a little more of a promotion at work. Just a, a better vehicle, a better house, a better home, a better, uh, uh, a bigger bank account, a better retirement plan. Just a little bit more. And the end results of us chasing after the things of this world. Is that we are left unsatisfied because we're trying to find satisfaction in something that never was meant to do so. And this, this state of being, this feeling of unsatisfaction, now boils over into our relationship with others and our relationship with God. And James, James, James describes how this happens the first thing that James says is listen if we live this way people are going to be hurt this is the first consequence of chasing after the things of this world the passions of the flesh Verse is that people are hurt verse 2 says you desire and you do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel James says listen this is what happens, that when you're frustrated, when you take your frustrations and your disappointments from not being fulfilled by the things of this world, you, you allow that into your relationships, and you end up hurting other people. There's a simple phrase that, that, that I've come to, to know and understand, it simply is that hurt people hurt people. That when you are unfulfilled in your life, when you feel unsatisfied, that same sense is going to ooze over into your relationship with others. James says here, listen, you desire and you do not have. So what do you do? You murder. Let's just pump the brakes for one second. I hope, I hope that these believers were not killing each other. I wasn't there. I can't say for sure. But I think if they were actually murdering people, this probably wouldn't be the first time you see it in this letter. He probably would have opened up with, hey, I know things are rough. Stop killing each other. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have waited until chapter 4 to bring it to the day. Oh, yeah, by the way, I heard you guys are killing each other. Yeah, let's stop that. But what, what I do think is this, and this is what I probably think James is getting at here. I think James is pointing back to the Sermon on the Mount in the 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. You guys, you guys remember Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount when it came when it comes to hate? And the Pharisees thought the commandment in the Old Testament says, thou shalt not murder. Got it. Don't kill people. But Jesus said, listen, but if you if you hate someone, you're committing murder in your heart. If, if, you, if you bring Jealousy and, and anger, and, and you want someone to be hurt, up to that point, listen, in God's eyes, you've already committed murder. In 1 John 3:15, um, John writes that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And what James is getting at here is that even though we may never take the physical act of taking someone's life. We wish people away all the time, don't we? Especially in this state when we are unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And we come, in, we, we come into church and the very thing that we want, we see that someone else has. What does that do in your mind? What do you do? So often you look at that person and say, if that person wasn't there, I could have that. If that person wasn't wasn't here at church, I I could be that person. I could have that position. If that person didn't have that job, I could have that job. If that person didn't have that promotion, that could could be me. And what James is saying here is that so often we wish away people. We dream of what life would be like if they were not around. And we may even manipulate the circumstances to get them out of the picture. So as jealousy deepens, we devalue people. We make them less than human. We see people, instead of seeing them as people to be loved and ministered to and be encouraged by and built up, people now become obstacles to overcome. And that if I could get this person out of the picture, My needs could be fulfilled, and I could finally be satisfied. Church, that's a lie. And we need to get to the point where we're satisfied with what God has given us and be content in that moment, understanding that, yeah, maybe God does want to bless us in certain ways later on down the road, but here in this moment... I need to be happy with where God has placed me, with, with, with the things that God has given me, and the position that I have, with the family that God has given me, and the church that God has placed me in. And we need to be content with that. Not only does this feeling, this frustration of being angry at God and, and angry at the world for not fulfilling our needs, not only does it hurt our relationship with others, it hurts our walk with God. And James says the next thing that we see here is that, listen, our prayers are hindered. Look with me in verse 2, the end of verse 2. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. Man, that one killed me. And listen, it sounds really harsh, but James's logic here is airtight. That if we believe, just walk walk with me for a second, if we believe that I can find satisfaction apart from God with the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, if I'm investing all, all that I am into those things, then why would I pray? Why would I turn to God and pray to someone who I've already said, you can't meet the needs that I have? Why would I go and ask God for something when I truly believe you're not going to do it? You can't do it. And church, what James is talking about here is probably one of the most tragic things when it comes to prayer that that I found in Scripture. That we don't have certain things simply because we haven't asked God for them. Think about that. You can't get mad at God For something that you haven't even asked for. But we do. You can't get mad at God for something that I've never mentioned to you that I even need this. And tragically, I really believe that God wants to bless you and give certain things into your life. And he's waiting for you to ask him. And how often do we make our our friends or our spouse or someone else in church our enemy because we're fed up with something we've never even asked God for? And so he said our prayers are hindered. First, we don't ask for things. And secondly, sometimes when we do ask, we ask with wrong motives. Verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. See, worldliness doesn't just impact if we pray. Worldly impacts how we pray, when we pray. So if you're praying... If you're asking God for things to fulfill your own selfish pleasures and desires, do you think God's going to answer those? No. Because God is a good God. God is your heavenly Father. If it was up to to our kids, our four kids, they would have donuts for breakfast each and every day. Krispy Kreme would be hit up all the time. But you know what? We don't do that. You know why? Because it's not good for them. I would probably have diabetes by this point and weigh like 250 pounds. There are certain things as parents that we don't give to our children because it's detrimental to their growth, to their health. In church, God is the same way. God's saying, I'm not going to give something to you if it's going to be detrimental to your spiritual walk." I'm not going to give you that raise just so that you could flaunt it in the face of your other coworkers. I'm not going to give you that promotion. I'm not going to give you that new car just so that you can drive around town and impress all your neighbors. Like, if we're asking with improper motives and desires, God's not going to act on your behalf. And we've allowed this idea that the world can satisfy us. And we try to morph it into this religious walk where we say we still love God, but we still really want the things of this world. And God knows our hearts. And God's saying, I'm not going to act. I'm not going to grant you a wish. I'm not going to act like you're a vending machine every time you want the things of this world. In Matthew 6, one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. It's where we get to the point in our spiritual lives where it says, God, I don't care about my kingdom. I don't care what you, what you may do here with me in my life. My first priority, the number one thing that, that matters in my life, God, is your kingdom and building your kingdom, what you want and your priorities and making the gospel known to people, and experiencing life the way that, God, that you want me to experience it. When we do those things, God is going to act on our behalf. But we have to ask in a way that matches up with God's priorities and God's design. Church, as James continues on here, after he explains the pursuit that the world that worldliness will, one, hurt the people around you and hinder your prayer life. James kind of breaks everything down here in verse, in verse 4. And he simply says this. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let me just let that sink in for one moment. I just want to read it again. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James begins here with some of the strongest language in in the entire book, and he wants us to understand the consequences of chasing after the things of this world. See, we act as spiritual adulterers. The moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are welcomed into the family of God. We are invited into the bride of Christ. And when we chase after the things of this world, we, we may say, we love you, God. We may say, you're all that I need on Sunday morning. But for the rest of the week, we're, we're, we're leaving the house and chasing after everything else to satisfy us. For those of you who, who, are, who are married here today, how would that fly? If your husband or your wife declares their love for you, but you know they're going elsewhere to get their needs met. God feels the same way. And he's saying, I, I have given you my son. I've given you all that you need. I have offered you everything that you need to find purpose and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction in this, in this world today. But you're going after so many other things that you and I both know will never satisfy you. So don't you know that friendship with the world, that aligning yourself with the priorities, that aligning yourself with, with the the ideas and thought processes and philosophies of this world, you set yourself up, you position yourself as an enemy of God. I'm not saying that you lose your salvation here, but you place yourself in the very same camp as those people who want nothing to do with our Heavenly Father, who want nothing to do with the gospel, who want nothing to do with who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. And when we continue to turn our back on our Heavenly Father by chasing after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is having a little bit more, a little bit more. We are positioning ourselves with the very people who killed our Savior. And I just want to ask you, like, is it worth it? Is it worth the constant struggle to find something more? Is it worth killing ourselves and working 80 hours a week just so that we can go on an elaborate vacation? After seeing the consequences and the conflicts that occur from chasing after all these things, church, is it worth it today? Is it worth hurting the people that you love? Because it will. Is it worth watching your prayer life suffer? Because it will. Is it worth walking away from the blessing and favor of God to experience something that isn't going to last? Maybe God is already speaking to your heart today. You feel hopeless and helpless you have bought into the world's philosophy for years and years and years. You have built your life upon the things of this world that have no eternal value. And you just feel stuck. Maybe God's already been speaking to you and bringing some some things of conviction into your heart already, but you don't know how to respond. And where where do I even go from here? Friends, I am so thankful that James didn't stop writing this portion in, in verse 4. And I want to give you two reasons for you to have hope this morning. Because listen, while, because we fight, we bring conflict into our lives because we are frustrated by the things of this world and we can't find satisfaction here. First, let me tell you something. That we fight for others because we're frustrated, but God fights for us because he's faithful. Verse 5 says, or do, you, or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Man, I love this verse. And what James is doing here, James is going back to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament idea that one, that God is a jealous God. That God isn't going to sit around while, while you walk away and do nothing. That God wants our hearts. But he brings up this fact that yes, God is, God is jealous and he doesn't sit back, but he reminds us that one, that God faithfully pursues us. See, if you are one of God's children, He isn't going to stop chasing after you. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how far you, how long you've been gone, or how far you've been, how far you've walked away. Your heavenly Father jealously wants you back, like a shepherd who, who has lost his sheep. He may have every last one of them, but one. You know what that shepherd does? He goes into the, into the wilderness finds him, and brings him back, and puts him back into the fold. And oftentimes the frustrations and the dissatisfaction of the things of this world are God's tools to bring you back to himself. You may be here today because life is hard, and you've made mistakes And you're suffering the consequences and the unsatisfied feeling of doing things your way, chasing after the things of this world. And to no avail, you found those things to be wanting. And I truly believe that God uses our failures, that God uses the consequences of our sin to get our attention and and to bring us back to himself. God faithfully pursues you. But then in verse 6, we see that God faithfully provides. I love just these, this, this first little phrase here, these first five verses in verse, in, in, in verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. That no matter how far you've gone away, no matter what you have done with your life, the mess that you've made of your life, if you're a believer here today, he gives more grace. That word more is probably the most important word in in that phrase. You know what more means? More means above and beyond. More means exceeding the level needed to meet a need. So what it says here is that no matter what you've done, God's grace is more than you need. He will faithfully provide all that you need to come back to him. And for some of you here this morning, We need forgiveness. Man, you've walked away from God, and you've done things that you are not proud of. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And for those of us who need forgiveness, Jesus says, I am faithful and just to forgive, to forgive all your sins. If you need a clean slate, God promises to wash you whiter than snow. If you made a mess of your lives, of your life, and you need a clean start, listen, God says, listen, I can't change what happened, but I can give you a new future. And if you're struggling with leaving the world behind this morning, Jesus promises to walk with you every single step of the way. He will provide all that you need. The church, in a passage that began talking about conflict, Jesus hits us with this portion that really just talks about our heart today and the desires that we have. And I want to leave you with just this one truth this morning, and it simply is this, is that this world will fail you, but God remains faithful. This world and all that it offers it's counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And you're going to pursue relationships with other people, and those relationships will fail you. You will, you will pursue money that will never satisfy. You will, you will pursue notoriety. You may have your your time in, time in, in the spotlight, but those things will fade. People will forget. This world is going to fail you, but God will remain faithful. So I simply want to end our time together simply by inviting you to do business with God today. Verse 6 says it starts with humility. It starts with acknowledging where we've gone astray. So for some of you here, this is where it begins. Taking taking over your life and watching over those things and saying God where if I find where have I chased after and tried to find satisfaction in things other than you today and it starts there with humbly asking for his forgiveness now I'd encourage you to continue reading on James 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 4 7 through 10 next week next week we're, we're going to talk about that James seven those verses 7 through 10 gives us the practical steps of turning away from the world and 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 writing our relationship with God. I'd encourage you to, to read over those things, but it starts today simply by acknowledging, God, I have chased after other things, and I need your help. And there are people in, the, in this room today that simply need to do business with God, that have walked away for far too long let me, let me remind you that God wants your hearts and God will welcome you back home. So as I just invite the praise team up as we finish up our time today, I would encourage you to do just that. Whether it's praying in your seats, whether it's coming up front and having someone else pray over you, whether it's going home and having conversations with people that you need to ask forgiveness from because your your unsatisfied state has spilled over into into your relationship with them. But let us start today. Don't leave this place without doing business with God today, church. He wants your heart and he wants you back. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray over you guys, and then we're we're going to sing one more song today. Heavenly Father... God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage. God, I thank you for the work that you've done in my own heart this week. Because, man, I have chased after so many other things, God, besides your son. And, God, and I ask forgiveness for that. God, and I pray here, Lord, that you would just move and work in people's hearts that you would give them the courage to turn back from maybe years of chasing after the things of this world and to turn back to to you God God you promise that you that no good thing will you withhold to those who walk uprightly that you will meet every every desire of our heart God God and if you've already given us your son how much more will you give us every other good thing God may we trust in your promises father may we cling to who you are, Father, and may we trust that, we, that the things that we invest in for eternity matter and will last far beyond anything of this world. God, thank you, Lord, that even when we fail you, God, and when the world fails us, God, you remain faithful. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of our people today. May they do business with you, God, and turn, turn back. Turn back to your son, Jesus. And I pray all these things in in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.